everyone, my name is Grace and I'll be bringing you the second Bible reading taken from Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 13. You can find this in the Pew Bibles on page 1007 or follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because, he's, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? All if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you, Grace and Wendy, for leading us in prayer. Well, friends, we are looking at the last topic in our series, The Heart of Christian Living. And I do hope and have been praying that for us as a church that God has been growing us in all these areas in increasing measure, in faith, love and hope and suffering and, uh, and, and learning these things and experiencing how God has been growing us. And we are to expect uh, that this is happening. As I look at you, hopefully I'm seeing progress. And as you look at me, hopefully you're seeing progress as well. But let's do a quick revision again. So it is our last week uh, in this series. The first week we looked at faith that perseveres. Good. Okay, that's the first week. Second week was love that love that serves. The third week, hope that motivates. The fourth week, suffering that that builds. Holiness. That's the fifth week. Holiness that inspires last week leadership that that sacrifices and finally today we'll be looking at prayer that depends and so we started this series thinking about faith which is about our utter dependence upon god and we end this series thinking about prayer which expresses our dependence upon god so it is a, a fitting way to end this series and as we think about prayer let's pray once again asking for god's help uh, let's do that together Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about prayer, you'll convict us in the way we should be thinking about prayer, the things we should be praying for, 
and that you might make in us our prayer warriors where we desire to show our utter complete dependence upon you, our King and our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now it is uh, without any doubt that we all know, whether you're Christian or not in fact, we all know that prayer is important. Many of us who grew up in a Christian home learned to pray as kids. We pray together all the time as we meet each Sunday like this. We spent a few moments in prayer already. When we meet in our youth groups, Sunday school, growth groups, we spend time in prayer. When you're alone, you pray. We pray all the time. We know it's important. We pray when we're happy. We pray when we're sad. And of course, we pray when we're desperate. You see, prayer is not a uniquely Christian thing. Many faiths, many religions pray. Muslims, they pray. They pray five times a day. That puts many Christians to shame, really. Buddhists, they, they pray. They have meditation where they empty their minds, which is quite different to Christian meditation where we fill our minds with the Word of God. Hindus, they chant mantras. And even the irreligious of this world, they pray as well. Now, if you think about it, it's a very strange idea. Why is it that those who don't believe in anything, even atheists, would end up praying? Because who do they pray to? But they do when they're desperate, when they're in need, when there is no one else to turn to. And we witnessed this about two months ago. In Thailand, you would have remembered the story of the Thai boys, the soccer team trapped in a cave. It seemed like the whole world was praying at that time. There were news, news articles after news articles about people praying for them or them praying themselves. And so here we see prayers that the Thai kids, prayers for the Thai kids caught in the cave, how meditation helped Thai boys stuck in cave. Classmates of boys pray for success. Thailand's religions unite to pray for the boys. It seems like prayer is important. We know this, Christian or not, religious or not. Even atheists, in moments of desperation, if even for a split second, they end up being believers and prayers themselves. But why do people pray? Why do you pray? And does it work anyway? Is it really just something we do as people to make ourselves feel better? And I wonder whether you have ever felt where our prayers, it seems like it's not doing anything. It seems like it just goes up to the ceiling and it stops. Does it just go up into thin air? But of course, for those of us here tonight who are Christians, who do believe in Jesus and follow him as Savior, we know the answer already, don't we? Because our prayers are so unique and so precious because they are not aimless. Our prayers, they go up to God himself. And God loves us, and God hears us, and God is powerful, and so God is powerful enough to answer us. You see, everyone prays in the world, but for us Christians, it is unique, it is special, it is precious, because we are praying to the only one who can help, the only one who really cares, the one true and living God. And so that's what we'll be thinking about tonight. But what do we pray when we pray? Well, let's just say, imagine this. We can know exactly the type of prayers that God wants us to pray. Wouldn't you want to know that? Let's just imagine that we can have access to the type of prayers that God wants to hear from us. 
Let's just imagine for a moment that we can have access to the type of prayers that will always, 100% of the time, please God. Wouldn't you want to know that type of prayer? Like It's a bit like getting the exam questions before the exam. But we can. And we do have access to that. And that's what we see in our passage. It is the prayer that Jesus himself, the Son of God, taught his very own disciples to pray. And this is, of course, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, just, just to get a show of hands, how many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Memorize it from kids? Only some of us? 50%, 60 70%, okay. Many of us uh, would have learned this. I, in fact, learned this prayer in, a, in, in the Catholic school I went to, not from church, in fact. But it's a prayer we've taught our kids when they were a lot younger. It's a prayer that is still prayed at the beginning of Parliament. But what is this prayer about? What is this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? Well, when we look at this, it's quite a simple prayer. It's, in fact, quite a short prayer. I timed myself, and it takes me about 16 seconds to pray through this. Not that it's a race at all, but it takes me about 16 seconds to pray this prayer. But it is short, yet it is so important and so profound. And what do we learn in this prayer? What is it that we are to pray about? And pray for what is the type of prayer that pleases God always. Well, we see in this prayer two main parts. Firstly, it concerns God first and foremost. Prayer to God is about God first and foremost. And second, it concerns us. Two simple parts in this short but yet profound prayer. Now, as we look at this prayer, it should not be a surprise to us that Prayer, first and foremost, concerns God our Father. Now, this might be something we might not even realize, but the fact that we can call God Father is profound. It's extraordinary and it is so precious. It is, in fact, one of the greatest privileges as Christians. You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they never dared call God Father. God was to them Yahweh, but they did not even dare to use the word Yahweh, the name of God. It was forbidden. And that's why when Jesus called God Father, the Pharisees, what did they call him? They called him a blasphemer. How dare you? But yet Jesus here teaches his disciples and us that this God is not far, he's not distant, and he's not unapproachable. Jesus teaches his disciples you can call God the way I call God, and that is Father. And so that speaks of the intimate personal, personal relationship we can have with God. It speaks here also of adoption, that as Christians, we are more than just believers. We are the very sons and daughters of God himself, the God of the universe. I mean, can you imagine that? No bigger bragging rights than that. Who's your father? Well, it's God. And so J.I. Packer was right when he said this. He said, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. Isn't that profound? You have the name of God. You bear the name of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And if you think about that, how precious it is, even on a human level, as we think about our relationships here. The vast, in fact, all of you would call me 
by the name John. That's how you know me. I am John to you. Some of you who like to show a bit more respect might call me Mr. Huynh. No one shows me that type of respect. Some of you who might like to show me even greater respect call me pastor or reverend. No one likes to show that. You might only say that if you want to tease me. Or Yvonne, what does she call me? Well, we're married, but she will never call me anything affectionate like cupcake or honey or mud cake. And I would never call her that too. In fact, if I do, she would shiver in disgust and probably vomit as well. She calls me husband, which literally means old man in Chinese, and I call her wife, which literally means old woman. So affectionate and romantic our marriage, isn't it? But you see, out of all the relationships we have here, me with you, there are only three people in the entire world who can call me father, and they are my children. Esther, Caleb, and Ethan. They have that privilege to call me father. Now, you, you might not want to be my kids anyway, but that is a privilege that only they have. But you see what Jesus is saying here? All of us who believe in Jesus, not just some of us, all of us have that greatest privilege of all. We can call the God of the universe Father. You don't have any bigger bragging rights than that. And so in verse 2, we read here, Father, hello, uh, we, we, we read in verse 2 when you pray say father now what are we to pray concerning our father the first part of this prayer well it is concerning the honor and the kingdom of our father it is concerning the honor and kingdom of God and that itself should already get us to reflect has this been the concern of our most recent prayers just reflect on your most recent prayer how much of that prayer concerned God and his kingdom? You see, the concern here is of God's honour and not our honour. The concern that Jesus teaches his disciples here is God's kingdom and not our kingdom. Often we're living our life so busy trying to build up our little kingdoms here on earth. But the concern here is God's kingdom. And we live in a world, we all know this, where God's name is made like rubbish and mud where God's name is used in vain, where people do not show any reverence for God at all. I mean, that should be disgusting to us when we hear that. It should get us angry. It should deeply concern us and it should distress us when people show no reverence to the God of the universe who gave them life. And again, if you just think on a human level, if I ever hear any one of you, which, uh, and you don't, but if any one of you speak and mock Yvonne, my wife, I'm not going to be very happy. But yet we don't feel that way when people speak about God. And so this is a prayer that God would act for his name's sake, that God's name would be honoured, that God himself will be glorified and revered, that God, Lord, enhance your reputation. Let the world know that you are God and you alone. Let the world know that you are the judge of this world. Let the world know that you are the only saviour of this world. And so in verse 2, the second bit, we see, Father, hallowed be your name. And so that is really a prayer that God would bring about his kingdom. 
When we're asking for God's name to be hallowed, we're asking God to bring about his kingdom. Because as people are saved, they are brought from darkness into the kingdom of his Son. As people are forgiven of their sins and belong to God in his kingdom as his children, God's name is hallowed. And so when we're asking for God's name to be hallowed, we're also asking for God's kingdom to come, for Christ to eventually return, to bring about his kingdom in its fullest. And that should be our desire as Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian around World War II in Germany, he, he said, if we belong to heaven, we who are Christians know that heaven is our eternal home. If we belong to heaven, then we should always be homesick for heaven. And that is part of the flavor of this prayer. Verse 2, your kingdom come. We long for the return of Jesus. We long for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And here in, in Luke's version, we see a shorter version of Matthew's version. But in Matthew, we also see the prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is really a prayer that God's reign will come into our lives, that God will rule, that we will all live under the lordship of Christ, that our lives will be fitting of heaven now, that our lives will be Christ-like, spirit-filled and godly now. That is to pray that God's will be done now in our lives. And so Jesus here in the first part of the prayer, he shows us our concern should be of God first and foremost now the second part this now concerns ourselves now this is perhaps a good pattern it's not the only pattern but it is a good pattern where we come to god thinking about god first and that's the nature of how we do our prayers as we meet in our service the first prayer is always about god first so that we don't always come to god and think God, please give me this, give me that. But we come to God acknowledging that God is God. He is our Father. But now what is it that Jesus teaches us to pray for? And I wonder whether what we see here is similar or different to the last prayer we prayed. Is it different or is it vastly uh, is it similar? Because as we listen to each other's prayers, I suspect that we might notice things. I remember a few years ago, a father sharing with me a prayer that he was praying with his kids each night. And he, his prayer was that God would give him a house with a swimming pool. And he prayed it with his kids each night. Eventually he did get it. Now there's nothing wrong if you have a swimming pool. But that prayer really revealed something of his heart to me. And that's what prayers do. It reveals what our deepest longings, our deepest desires are. And Jesus here teaches us what our deepest desires should be, the longings of our hearts, what they should be. And so here Jesus teaches us to pray, showing our complete and utter dependence upon God. We are to come to God like humble, dependent and needy servants. We are to come to God acknowledging we need God, not the other way around. It's not like God is so lonely in heaven and he's waiting for us to pray to him. God does not need us nor our prayers. We need God. And that's important to remember. We need God, not his stuff. We need God. You see, without God, we just don't live. Each and every one of us, we're alive today because of God. We can breathe easily 
just now as we're sitting in the pews because of the kindness of God. I mean, just reflect on that. We are living, you are living because of God. And so we pray showing our utter dependence upon God for all our physical needs. All our physical needs. And so verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Now notice there, it's not a prayer where you pray for an overabundance of every meal. Every breakfast meal, lunch, dinner, an overabundance of food is not, is not that type of prayer. It's not a prayer that allows us to be greedy as Christians, but a prayer seeking only what is just enough. Just enough, just sufficient for contentment. This verse here, this prayer here, has similarities to what we see in Proverbs chapter 30. To have just enough, not too much, not too little. In Proverbs 30, we read this. Verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. It is a great prayer, isn't it? Just enough. Not too much, not too little, so that we might be content and thankful to God. A member of our church family shared with me recently out at coffee that he's been praying this prayer for me during this time. And I thank God for this brother. That's what I want as well. Just enough. Not too much, not too little. Now that's how we would normally understand that part of the Lord's Prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. We think about our physical needs and we depend on God for our physical needs. And that is true. But it's also worth noticing here, you probably won't see this. In fact, you don't see this in your Bible translation. But in some translations, in fact, perhaps a better translation, the type of bread that is described here or the type of bread we pray for here is not the daily bread, but can also be translated as the bread of tomorrow or the bread for tomorrow. And so the prayer would then read, Give us today the bread of tomorrow. Now that sounds strange, isn't it? It's not what we memorize when we pray the Lord's Prayer, but what does it mean? Well, the bread of tomorrow speaks not so much of our physical daily needs, but the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God, the promises of what God has made that will become available in his kingdom. It was how some of the early church understood that prayer. It is a prayer about the kingdom of God. Not physical needs, but the kingdom of God. That God might give us a taste of the bread we shall eat in the kingdom of God. That God might give us a foretaste of that great banquet that Jesus has promised in his kingdom. And as we pray this prayer, as we live our lives awaiting the return of Christ, if you think about it as Christians, we do get a foretaste of heaven. We get a foretaste of heaven now because even today we have God who has poured out his spirit into our hearts. Even today we have the joys of sins already forgiven. Even today we experience the love of God poured into our hearts, our conscience cleansed, 
And even today we have a foretaste of heaven because we have peace with God today. And so this prayer speaks not merely of our physical dependence upon God, but also our longing for God's spiritual and eternal blessings. Now the next part of this prayer is that we come to God with our hearts exposed, which just makes sense. You cannot come to God and hide your sins. We can't sweep it under the carpet. God sees everything, so it's best to come recognizing our sins, confessing our sins, and seeking forgiveness for our sins. And we go to the only one who can forgive our sins, and that is God alone. And that is a great privilege, in fact, one of the great privileges of being a Christian. We seek for forgiveness, and the answer will always be yes. All that you have done in the past, that is wiped clean. You are clean before me. And so verse 4, forgive us our sins. But then the next part is that this prayer also expects that as we have been forgiven much, we must also forgive. And so verse 4 again, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us see as we experience the forgiveness of god we must go on forgiving and so if you if you are a genuine christian and you live your life and there are conflicts in relationships things have not gone the right way the attitude of the christian is that we can't go on with unforgiving hearts we must forgive as we and finally, though shortened from what we're used to in the Lord's Prayer, we must remember here that daily it is a spiritual battle, that the devil himself is out to get us, to cause us to fall. It is a spiritual battle. Now the reality is that if our lives is no different to the rest of this world, we just conform and blend in and go with the flow, then the devil will leave us alone. You're doing what is wrong anyway. But if we're living God's way, if we're standing firm in the gospel, if we're seeking to please God, longing to live and lead a holy life, longing for the kingdom of God, then the devil is out to get us. It's so often easy to forget that the lives of Christians, it's a spiritual battle. It's not against blood and bones. And so living a Christian life is a spiritual battle and we need God's help. And the promise is that God can help. Look at verse 4. Lead us not into temptation. And in the longer version of this prayer we also have, but deliver us from the evil one. John MacArthur, he puts this nicely, he puts it this way and he says, Satan continues his efforts to make sin less offensive heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. And so the Christian life is always a spiritual battle, a struggle against the works of the evil one as we strive to live the holy lives that is pleasing to God, and we need God's help with that. And so that's the prayer that Jesus taught. Pretty simple, isn't it? Two parts, concerning God and then concerning us, concerning God and his kingdom, and then concerning us and our longing for the kingdom of God. But now we must ask, why do we pray? That's what you pray. Why do we pray? Well, Jesus now reminds us in this little parable. And the answer is simply because 
Firstly, God does care. That's why we pray. Secondly, God does answer. That's why we pray. And thirdly, God always gives good gifts to his children. That's why we pray. If God did not care, nor answer, nor give good gifts, why would you pray? But God does. And so firstly here, we pray because God cares. And here in this parable, it's a story of a man. Just imagine this story. You're tucked up in bed, warm and nice. Everything is done for the night. Kids are sound asleep. The doors are all locked. The day is done and time now to sleep. But in the middle of the night, your friend comes along knocking on the door. He doesn't stop. He keeps on knocking. You want him to go away, but he keeps on knocking and knocking and knocking and, and he's pestering you and so annoying that eventually you just give in and give him what he wants. And so that's what we see. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, what do you think Jesus meant by that story? Is Jesus trying to teach us, as his disciples, that if we, like this man on the outside, pester God enough, if we persist enough in prayer, we can eventually twist God's almighty arms to do what we want? Is that the point of this parable? Well, many years ago, that's how I interpreted it. That's what I thought. And that's how many people understand this parable. That's why people put on long prayer vigils. Many did happen for those Thai boys. Or even in the Roman Catholic Church, when you sin, you confess your sin to the priest, the priest would get you to do your penance. Say the Lord's Prayer ten times. And if you're persistent, God will forgive you. But the reality is that that's butchering the Lord's Prayer, as if saying the prayer over and over and over again, you'll be able to twist God's arm into doing what you want. So what's the point of this parable? Is it teaching us to be persistent and bold like this man on the outside, to pester God that way? Well, the point is, of course not. The point is that God is precisely the opposite, not like the man. God is not like the man on the outside. That's what humans are like. But that's not what God is like. You don't need to pester God. Why? Because God cares already. God already knows our needs. Saying the Lord's Prayer ten times does not make it more effective than saying it once because God already cares. And so the point of that is to show us that God is not like that. If people give in because of pestering, well, God does not need to be pestered to care. But more than that, we see in the next bit, God, in fact, answers. When we pray, it doesn't just go up into thin air. Nor is it just prayers and words to bring us comfort. The promise is here, you pray, God answers, and God will answer. And again, we have to remember how spectacularly wonderful this is, that we can approach the living God and to know that he will answer us. You can speak to the king of the universe and know and trust that he will answer I mean, if you think about this just on human terms, it is, it is amazing. I mean, have you had to speak or have the ear of someone important, ever tried to speak to someone important? It's very hard to get a hold of them. Recently, I contacted our local member of 
the Parliament, or Federal Parliament, requesting a meeting to have a chat with her about religious freedom and its concern, how we're concerned about it. I've been waiting for a response for a few weeks, and I knew it wasn't going to be easy to get a meeting with her. But because of what happened last week, remember, change in Prime Minister, this local member announced that she will resign, so it doesn't look like this meeting's going to happen anyway. But how hard would it be, not, not just to get in the ear of a local member, but to get the ear of the Prime Minister? Try setting up a meeting with him. Or how much harder would it be to get the ear of the President? Try to set up a meeting with him. I mean, it is difficult. When Obama became president years ago, they were very strict. There were very strict protocols on who could meet with him and what questions they could ask. And so when the media, they wanted to meet with him, only those approved media people could meet and only questions that were approved could be asked. No one could just walk up to the president and have his ear. But do you see what's happening here? This is the God of the universe. The God that we can come to as Father. He always listens and he always answers. And so look at verses 9 to 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. So God not only cares but he will answer. And God always answers our prayers. Is that profound? Every single prayer we pray, God always answers. And what are God's answers? Well, recently uh, an old lady in our, in our church, one of our members, she, she told me pretty clearly she was in some difficult uh, circumstance and she said, well, God always answers our prayers. They are one of three. It can be yes, it can be no, no is an answer as well. Or it can also be not yet, so wait patiently. R.C. Sproul, he puts it this way. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. God answers all our prayers, but when he says no, we assume that he either has not heard or he has not answered. No is an answer, and we need to be ready to hear it. And so it can be a good answer. It is a good answer if it is an answer. God cares and God will answer. And finally, why do we pray? We pray because God always give, gives good gifts to his children. Now this does not mean that whatever we ask of God, he will give it to us. I mean, think of the things that we want and desire and dream of. Deep down, we probably already know that they're not for our good. Uh, Yvonne, my wife, she, she would like and desires to have a four-week holiday every month. That can't be for our good. I like a five-week holiday every month. That won't happen. But the promise here from God is that we do not always get what we want, but we will always get what we need. Because God always gives good gifts to his children. And if even normal parents give good gifts, how much more so with God? And my, my boys, their birthdays are coming up, and I already sense what they want for their birthday presents. And as a good father, what should I give them? 
not just what they want, because what they want is not necessarily good for them. Now, I wouldn't give them a set of steak knives or a chainsaw. That wouldn't be good for them, even if they wanted that. Not that they do. What's good for them is perhaps more textbooks, more Shakespeare. Such stereotype, anyway. But God always gives us good gifts. Look at verses 11 to 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now notice here the request. It's not for stuff. It's not for a bigger car. It's not for a bigger house. It's not for a bigger job, a bigger paycheck to pay for the bigger house. It is not that God can't afford those things. I mean, the cattle on a thousand mountains belong to God. God can afford it. God owns the universe. But the request here is for the best thing anyone can ask for from God. What is that? What is the best thing anyone can ask from God? Well, it is for God himself. It is for his spirit. Let me have you. And so when we come to God and ask, please forgive my sins, God says, of course, it is done. We want eternal life and we come to God and God says, of course, it is done. You want God himself. You want God to dwell in us by his spirit. And what does God say? Well, of course, you can have my spirit too. Such is the love of God. He gives us the best. And so why do we pray? God cares, God always answers, and God always gives us the best. Now finally, how do we pray? Well, there is no one right way to pray. If God is our Father, we come to him as Father, as his children, which means we come to him anytime and every time, whenever we like. But there are two principles I'd like to share with us on how to pray. The first is this. We come to God humbly and dependently, always. That's the first. The second is this. We come to God always and expectantly. See, the prayers of our hearts to God must always be with humility and dependence. We come, we come to the God of the universe. We're not coming to a mate. We're not a mate of God. We're not equals of God. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And so we never approach him like he is below us, equal to us. He is far above us. And so we come as humble, desperate children in need. My life, my every breath, everything I have, all that I can do is because of God. And so I come utterly dependent upon him. And that will shape my prayers if I come to God recognizing that. It will shape my prayers. Because how often do you pray or do you hear prayers where even Christians, we pray like we're wishing upon a star. Or we pray like we're, we're treating God like a genie in a bottle. And if that is true... How offensive is that to God? The give of life. He's not below us. He is above us. Or we come to God and treat him like 
a spiritual grocery store. We come with our list, our shopping list of stuff. Lord, please give me this during my exam. Lord, please give me this in my health. Please give me success. Please give me this and that. We treat God like he's a shopping store. But that really just shows that we've ignored God in our prayers and show that we want his stuff and not him. But to come to God humbly and dependently means we want God, not his stuff. When we focus too much on what we need, we are bound to neglect the one whom we need. We come to God and we need him, not his stuff. When we have him, he'll provide us with his stuff, but we need him. So we come always to God humbly and dependently. And the second principle is we come to God always and expectantly. We can pray anytime. And we should pray always. The Lord's Prayer only takes 16 seconds. We can pray that anytime. How many 16 seconds are there throughout the day? Many. How many 16 seconds do we waste? We can pray to God always. There's a wonderful Colin Buchanan song that, that speaks of praying to God always, shooting up an arrow prayer to God, and it goes like this. You can tell the Lord that you love him anytime. You can tell the Lord that you need him anytime. Thank him for his love and care. Shoot him up an arrow prayer. I mean, that's a good thing, isn't it? Anytime we can shoot up an arrow prayer to God. It is good to commit time in devotion to God, but it can be any time. I do a lot of my praying while I'm driving. I shoot up an arrow prayer to God. I do my prayers while I'm walking to church and to meetings. I shoot up an arrow prayer to God. When I get off a difficult phone call, I shoot up an arrow prayer to God. When I have to deal with a difficult email, I shoot up an arrow prayer to God. Even as I'm having a conversation and it's getting difficult in front of the person, I shoot up an arrow prayer to God. It is that easy. We come to God always. He is our Father. But if it is that easy, why is it that so many Christians find it so difficult to pray and pray so little? Why is that? Well, the simple reason is that we don't pray because we don't plan to pray. And if you are one of those who find it difficult to pray, let me suggest this to you. On the other side of the outline, there is a prayer diary that I've used. Every day of the week, different items for each day. Fill that in and start to use that. I've been using something like this for many years, and I've translated this to, to an app. There's a wonderful app called Prayer Mate. Get that, use it, fill it in this table, translate it into the app, and every day you've got it there on your phone. Write it out, use Bible verses. I think about the people in my life. I write down it on a plan, and I pray. And why is it that we don't pray? Well, we don't plan to pray, so let's plan, plan to pray. But the principle is always, and it is expectantly. Prayer is the concern of God. Prayerlessness is the concern of the devil. Samuel Chatwick, he said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, 
but trembles when we pray. That is what the devil fears. And so we pray always. And how wonderful is that? How reassuring that is and how comforting that is that any time I can turn to the most powerful person there is. Recently I have to spend almost half a day in prayer and reading the word, just needing to spend more time, but I need to expose everything uh, to God in prayer, and it was good for my soul. We do it always and expectantly, and God always answers. Now let me share this poem with you, a wonderful poem that shows that God always answers, perhaps not in the way we expect, but God answers. I ask God for strength that I might achieve I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Isn't that comforting to know? God always answers, and it is always for our good. And what fitting way to end a talk on prayer then to pray together. So that's what we'll do now, and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. We can take more than 16 seconds, but let's pray this together. Together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thanks, John. And prayer can also be sung. Uh, and in the last song, we're praying with our voices in song for God's kingdom to come, as we learnt as that first part of the Lord's Prayer. So let's all stand as we prayerfully sing together.